0: So it's Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me and seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish And it vomited Jonah onto dry land.
1: We are looking at Jonah chapter 2 today. Um, And you remember in chapter 1 of this book, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, and to speak against it for what it was doing. And last time I did describe something of the horrific level of violence that Nineveh had dished out and which had caused so much death and suffering in the ancient world at that time. God was sending the prophet Jonah to warn the Ninevites of the destruction that would come upon them if they carried on down that path. But instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah fled in the opposite direction. And it wasn't just because he was afraid of the Ninevites. He says later on in chapter 4, Uh, that the main reason he did not want to go there was because he knew that if they repented, if they turned from their sin when they heard God's message, he knew that God would have compassion on them and that God would save them. And Jonah did not think that was right. He wanted to see them judged and destroyed and punished for their sins. So in chapter 1, what Jonah did was he boarded a ship and he fled from God's call. But God followed Jonah and forced Jonah to stop and to think about what he was running away from. Uh, He sent a storm and that resulted in Jonah, Jonah doing something very gracious himself, offering his life to save the ship's crew. Jonah was thrown overboard into the sea and he began to drown. Uh, But at the end of chapter one, uh, God provided a huge fish to save Jonah. And it says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, Jonah's experience in the sea and then this fish was a turning point for him. And it's described here in chapter 2 through poetry. It's described in a psalm, which is also a prayer. And that's what we're looking at today. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now, within the Jonah story, therefore, the, the belly of the fish sp- Quite strangely, we might say, becomes a place of reflection and the start of something new for Jonah. And although you, we may never be swallowed by a fish, many of us, I think, have known the kind of process that Jonah Jonah's, Jonah's stories depicts here. Um, in our own lives, we have many of us have known that the ordeal of suffering, uh, the shock of feeling overwhelmed by something, swallowed up, we might say, by something and surrounded by darkness, for many of us who've perhaps been in a place like that, strangely, it has also become a clarifying moment in our lives. It's not been pleasant, but it's been life-changing. So the belly of the fish becomes a symbol, I think, in this book, a symbol of those times that many of us go through. And I think perhaps that's why actually a lot of authors and poets and songwriters have been drawn to... Jonah's story and the experience in the fish or the whale. Uh, And it was a moment when Jonah began to see things more clearly, and in our lives too, the ordeals we go through sometimes can both be an ending in one sense, but also a new kind of beginning for us. Because we go from them changed, things are no longer the same, and we too, we might say, we begin to pray a new kind of prayer from the fish's belly from the middle of that suffering. Now, the Hebrew of this chapter, this is fascinating. The Hebrew of this chapter, if you don't know about the Bible, the the Old Testament's written almost entirely in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. So we're in the Old Testament, and the Hebrew, the original language of this chapter, actually suggests the idea of a rebirth for Jonah. So, So when it says Jonah was in the belly of the fish, the Hebrew word for belly also means womb. Uh, in the womb of the fish, we might say. Uh, As well as that, uh, the Hebrew word for a fish, the singular word, a fish, in Hebrew, is usually a masculine word. And in fact, that's how it's written usually in the rest of the book of Jonah. But very unusually, at the beginning of chapter two, it switches to the feminine form. Very unusual. And some suggest all of this is meant to convey the idea that, that Jonah's experience was, for him, like a rebirth from the womb. He came out as a new person. It was transformative. It was a rebirth. And, of course, the New Testament and Jesus himself used the same kind of language to say that God brings us new life, new creation, new birth. Jesus said that's what seeing the kingdom of God is about. But I want you to notice that, you know, just like a mother's labor, uh, those new birth experiences they're not always tranquil and easy, There might be some labor pains as we go through it. But just like here in the book of Jonah, God is able to work through those sometimes painful and difficult experiences so that God will lead us through, like he did for Jonah, into a a new future. Now, that wasn't easy. And in Jonah's case, in many ways, he'd brought this particular ordeal on himself. But God was there beside him. I think of it like God was a bit like the midwife helping... Uh, bring something new in Jonah's life. And God can do that no matter what the circumstances are that you find yourself in, or indeed why they've come upon us. God is there to bring us through into new life. Now, in in Jonah's story here, uh, his psalm prayer gives a quite terrifying description of his ordeal in the water, first of all. He describes the nightmare of struggling at the surface, firstly, and then as we go on, he's being overwhelmed by the waters, the waves are just crashing over him, and then he describes sinking down deeper and deeper until he's right at the bottom of the seabed. Uh, He's gradually drowning, and that's before the fish saved him. Uh, You cast me into the deep, he says, into the heart of the seas, the flood surrounded me, All your waves and breakers passed over me, then the waters closed in up to my neck, the deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped around my head, and then to the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth's gates shut behind me forever. That's how Jonah describes it. Verse 2 describes being in the belly of Sheol. Uh, Now, Sheol was the Hebrew word for the place of the dead. We might say the grave. Uh, And interestingly, once again, the word belly there is also a Hebrew word that can also mean womb. Think about that, the the belly of shale, the womb. Um, For Christians, even death, the belly of shale, gives way to new life, like a womb. You know, isn't that an interesting thought? For Christians, that, that says a lot about our belief about how even in death, God brings us through into resurrection and new life. In Jonah 6, uh, verse 6 of this chapter, Jonah speaks of his life being in the pit. Uh, that was also sometimes used as a kind of metaphor for destruction or, or the grave. So the poetry here in Jonah 2 could be describing an actual drowning and death, maybe, maybe when meant to understand that Jonah actually died um, and then God kind of restored him back to life. Or, Or it could be using that language because he was about to cross that point. Jonah's kind of at that point where he's about to die and then the fish saves him. Either way, as Jonah reflects on all of this from inside the fish, he remembers that experience of drowning and the fact that he was going to die and that there was nothing, absolutely nothing he could do. The waters had overwhelmed him and his only hope was God and God brought him new life. And in many ways, I therefore think this prayer is a poem about those times in life where we lose hope, where we don't know how we are going to get through. Maybe we're even facing death itself, literally. It's about, I think this, this chapter can become a poem, a prayer about those times when we're at the end of ourselves and the only thing we can do is just to cry out for help like Jonah did. And Jonah did that because the only one who could save him was God. That was obvious in Jonah's case. Sometimes it takes us a while to see that, that actually what we need is God. So verse 2, he says, I called out to the Lord from my distress. From the belly of shale I cried. Verse 7, as my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord And my prayer came to you. You know, sometimes in those ordeals, we realize, oh, I'd forgotten. I need to remember that there is a God who I can call to. And God did save Jonah. And so the prayer actually concludes wonderfully with Jonah saying, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation comes from God. And that is so important in this book that he says that because that's the turning point for Jonah. And the choice of words he uses tell us that. Remember in chapter 1, Jonah, we're told, was fleeing away from the presence of the Lord. But now look at what he says as he sinks in the water, as his life flashes before him. He realizes how foolish that was to flee from God's presence. He said, he realized it was a terrible mistake. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven out from your sight. Now the word driven away In that verse is the same word that's used in Genesis three, when Adam and Eve were driven out from God's presence in the Garden of Eden. So Jonah had been trying to flee from God's presence. But now as he drowns and death looms large, he realizes how stupid, how terrible that would be to be out of God's presence. And and whereas he had been running away from God's presence before, his heart now rushes back to God. Verse 4, I look again to your temple. Do you remember that? In the Old Testament, the temple was where God's presence rested. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. So on the brink of death, Jonah understands now just how precious and important the presence of God really is. Like him, we take it for granted, don't we? And then we have those moments where we realize, actually, that's the one thing I mustn't lose, is to know I have my God. And it's a turning point for Jonah here, because it's here that he stops running away from God and prays to be back there again. Now, he's still got a lot of lessons to learn, as we'll see, like all of us do. But finally, he's no longer running from God, he's running to God. And you and I can always utter that kind of prayer. No matter what or where or why, you can pray that prayer to be in God's presence. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. Jonah was he felt he'd been driven from God. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will not drive them away. That was in John chapter 6, verse 37. So Jonah says, I called to the Lord and he answered me. I cried out, and you heard, God. You brought my life up from the pit, Lord my God. And God appointed a huge fish which swallowed Jonah, and he was saved. Verse, verse 8 is a kind of coming to his senses verse. Uh, he, he realizes that he, those who cling to worthless idols are turning away from God's faithful love for them. It's a difficult verse to translate, but it makes, he's realizing that If I go after other things, I'm turning away from the faithful love of God. And Jonah says, I'm not going to do that anymore. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I'm now going to fulfill in my life. He says, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation comes from God. It belongs to God. It's what God does for us. Uh, That's what Jonah now saw dramatically for himself as he was utterly helpless and drowning. God saved him. But Jonah must also learn, remember the larger point in this story, Jonah's got to also learn that if that's true for him, that salvation comes to him from God, it's also true when God saves the Ninevites. Salvation comes from the Lord for them as well, even though they weren't his favorite people. You see, all of this was... Not just a lesson for Jonah about his own life, but about the possibilities God might have even for the Ninevites. What an inspiring lesson for us all. You know, if God could work in such unexpected ways for Jonah, saving Jonah so unexpectedly and inventively, why not the Ninevites too? And in our day and age, why not those people we think are too far away or are no hopers? God can save anyone. Salvation is from the Lord. In the next chapter, just as God heard Jonah's cry and saved him, we will see that the Ninevites cry out and that he'll save them too. For us today, if God saves us and makes us new, why not those we're not sure about or that we don't like very much or who seem to be so far away from God to us? What seems impossible to us, Jesus said, is possible with God. He can save them too, because salvation is of the Lord. That that line, by the way, salvation is of the Lord. You could argue that's the point of the whole Bible. It's the whole Bible is telling us salvation comes from God. It hits from him. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite Psalms. God does not treat us as our sins deserve, it says. In other words, He's able to break into that equation that we think is just it you know our sins deserve this so that's the end of story no 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 god's able to do something different called salvation it means deliverance or rescue so psalm 103 says he rescues our lives from the pit like he did jonah and and just Remember that, you know, conditions, when we think of ourselves and our world, the conditions around us don't have to be just so, the world doesn't have to have, be more like this or more like that first. Nineveh was in a terrible state, absolutely terrible, but salvation came to them. And in our world today, however things are, we go out into the world as Christians with the news about Jesus and we know that God saves. And that's all that matters. Salvation comes from God. No ifs or buts or only when that's this or that. Salvation is from the Lord. And because it's a gift that's offered to everyone, that's salvation, we can share that news of God's grace with the whole world. Even those we're not inclined to share it with or those we doubt will hear it. They might surprise us. God might surprise us because his grace is far more amazing his love far more far-reaching than even our most optimistic expectations. I want you to listen to the words of this hymn. Um, We were going to sing it, but the music was a bit difficult to find. I didn't know if you know it, but listen to this poetry. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Isn't that beautiful? Really beautiful. And it carries on, it says, Love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Salvation is of the Lord. Perhaps that's one of the most hopeful statements in the whole world. God saves. He is a saviour. And salvation doesn't rest with us, but with him. Not with our own abilities, not with ourselves or our relative good works compared to whoever else. It's not about that. certainly doesn't rest with our sins, We'd all have no hope then. Salvation rests with God and comes from him. Um, In the New Testament, the apostle Paul put it like this. Uh, And and notice Paul Paul understands the death and rebirth image as well. He says, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. God raised us up with Christ, he says, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by your works, your efforts, so that no one can boast about it. For, he says, we are God's workmanships, God's done this. Create, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which even those, he says, God prepared beforehand that we should live in them. Or as he says in, uh, later on in Titus chapter 3, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us. Again, listen to the, these same images as Jonah. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. And renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior. I I just love that imagery through the Bible of, you know, the the floods of water. You know, those are all poured out, washing, you know, overwhelmed with this flood. But it turns out, actually, it's God's God's grace that we emerge from it, reborn and made new from death to life, washed, reborn, made new. Those those words are just as important in the New Testament as they were here for Jonah, and they're just as important for us and our world today. Ultimately, these words, these salvation words, bring us to Jesus, because they're all linked to him in the Bible, in the end. Uh, We're told in the book of Jonah that uh, the fish swallowed Jonah, and he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, Many years later... As you may know from the Gospels in the New Testament, when Jesus had come to the world, uh, Jesus mentioned those very words about Jonah in the fish's belly. And he connected them to what he, what Jesus was now going to do for for us all, for the world. So this is Matthew 12. Uh, The religious leaders came to Jesus. They didn't like him and they, they wanted to see a sign, some proof of who he was. But Jesus says that they were full of evil. They were just like the Ninevites in Jonah's story. And Jesus said, the only sign I'm going to like with them, he said, the only sign I'm going to give you is therefore the sign of the prophet Jonah. And uh, you know, Jonah had been sent by God to a world of evil and Jesus, God's son, had now come into that same world, our world, our lives. And in Matthew 12, Jesus says this to them. As Jonah was... Three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. So he says, I, the son of man, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was referring there to his death that was approaching on the cross. And then his burial in the tomb, in the heart of the earth, as he puts it. And he says that that death that Jesus would die for us, that, he says, is the sign of my ministry that I'm going to give you. That's what I'm about. That's the sign of who Jesus is and of what he was doing in the face of all our evil and our sin. The death of Christ showed them and shows us today who God is. He would die for you, and he did. That's the sign, the pointer, the demonstration. It's like no other demonstration in history ever of God's willingness to save you. He loves you. Jesus loves you. Actually, died for you. Um, As Jonah went down into the sea and was swallowed up by that fish, so that he could then Jonah could then go and bring news of salvation to the Ninevites. Well, Jesus, in a much bigger way, in a much more far-reaching sense, had come to the world from heaven, and he would die and be buried for us, swallowed up in death, before rising again and proclaiming his salvation to the whole world. And in connecting his death, Jesus, connecting his death to Jonah's experience in that fish, Jesus was, of course, saying also that he's taking the place of the sinner. He went, Jesus went there. You know, Jesus doesn't save us by being outside of our experience. He goes there. He takes all the waves. He's in the belly of shale, the grave, the tomb. For us. In other words, he went into that darkness and those depths of our rebellion. He allowed himself to be overwhelmed with with its flood, and he even died our death for us. He went there so that we can be saved from it all. He did it so that we, like Jonah, can call out to God, and like the Ninevites did as well, and we can know that as we call out to God today, we will not perish. We will not be destroyed in our sin, but will have life, eternal life. So ultimately, Jonah's story of descent down into the waters and then ascending back to life is a story for us all because it became the story of the Christian gospel in Jesus, in God sending his son to die, be buried, but then to come up and rise again for us all. That's Jesus says that's a sign where the grace of God is most clear of all in the history of the world. That's where it continues in Jesus' death and resurrection. That's where God continues to bring life to the whole world today in the crucified and risen Jesus, who is our Savior. And so when, whenever we hear that call of the gospel now, look to Jesus. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, we're told in the New Testament. Well, we're being called by God to turn around from our wandering, turn around from our running away or from our sin or from our false gods or whatever else it may be, and we're being called to come back to God's presence (laughs) to put our faith in Jesus and have a new birth, a new beginning from God. And that's yours too, if you'll turn to him. Because... Salvation is from the Lord.